Thank you all so much for leading us tonight. Well, everybody, we are at our final Thursday night Bible study this summer. Thank you all so much uh, for being part of an amazing summer. Uh, a couple of things before we introduce tonight's speaker. One, um, if, you, if you never picked up on it, uh, a bunch of volunteers helped make this possible. Those are people's small groups that showed up to help. That's our events team uh, led by uh, Annie Kilkenny at the start of the summer and Anna Hayden. Uh, let's give uh, Anna Hayden now, uh, she's on our staff. Let's give those folks that made this possible a big round of applause. And y'all, this is amazing. Uh, but the reason we do this is to form and fortify and cultivate disciple-making relationships. That's why we exist as a church. And so we really wanna make sure if you're new and, and you're like, what's the deal here? Uh, I, I need something to live for until next summer. Have we got the solution for you? Uh, we do what we like to call small groups here. They meet in people's homes all throughout the city uh, during the week, and it is an amazing opportunity uh, to form and to cultivate disciple-making relationships. We believe that life to the full is giving our lives away alongside the, the, our fellow believers in the body of Christ. And so small group registration is open this month. Uh, don't miss it. Don't call us uh, late September and say, can you put us in a group? Because we might say, hey, we don't have any more room. So register this month. Uh, it is an amazing way to live life uh, in community with the body of Christ, studying God's word. Uh, and so you need to know that small group registrations are open right now. Uh, now, uh, to introduce tonight's speaker, um, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna pass it off to somebody else. Hey, y'all. Uh, I could not pass up the opportunity to introduce our speaker tonight. If I don't know you, my name's Daniel Ernest, and, and it is a distinct pleasure to get to introduce my dear friend. Uh, his name is Donald Avant, okay? And uh, before he comes up here to, to preach from God's Word to you guys, I, I want to issue what I would consider uh, is a big disclaimer, okay? It's a warning to all the single girls in the room. Okay, I'm your pastor. I'm paid to look out for you. Donald's gonna come up here and he's handsome and he's tall and he's smart and he's preaching at church. As Wes Carpenter likes to say, he's single and ready to tingle, okay? And so on the surface, on the surface, as you sit there, things look great. You're gonna start daydreaming about getting married tomorrow, okay? If he were to like slip into your DMs on LinkedIn, which, which Donald does this, by the way, he says, it's a, he says it's a grown man's hinge, okay? Donald is a definite take, okay? But, but before you get swept off your feet, there's a couple of other things you need to know so that you can have what I will call, let's call it a more well-rounded view of who Donald is, okay? To start, number one, Donald has a twin brother named Christopher, okay? And Donald, this is kind of sad, but he's always sort of lived in his brother's shadow. And I'm so, hey, I don't say that, listen, I don't say that because Christopher lives in Australia and Donald is stuck here in Houston. I, I don't say that because Christopher was on the starting five and Donald rode the bench. I don't say that 
because Christopher competes in the CrossFit games, like the official CrossFit games, and, and Donald recently broke his pinky toe. <laughs> I say that Donald lives in his brother's shadow because quite literally, and this is a sore subject, uh, I'm told his twin brother is actually taller than he is, which, and this is just a statement of a fact here, that makes him the runt of the litter, right? <laughs> But don't feel sorry for Donald, okay? Donald didn't let that hold him back. Donald went to Emory, which if you're not familiar with Emory or you've never heard of it, don't worry, on your first date, Donald will talk to you all about it. He thinks it's like an Ivy League school, the, the Harvard of the South. And it's like, man, it, if you didn't get into Texas, just go to A&M like everybody else, okay? <laughs> You didn't have to go to Atlanta to prove something, okay? I alluded to this earlier. Donald, Donald actually played college basketball. And on the surface, that's going to be really attractive. But you need to know, four years of playing at Emory, and Donald averaged three and a half points per game, okay? So it's not like he's LeBron. And you might be thinking like, well, you know, college basketball, that's some stiff competition. Y'all, this is D3, okay? This is like, this is like A-League intramurals, okay? Our boy's barely hitting the stat sheet. These days, okay, he's a little injury prone. I mentioned the broken foot. His athletic ability has diminished quite a bit. Now he's into walking. In fact, sometimes he goes on three walks a day. And girls, before you get all giddy about a man who loves a slower pace, you need to know He's into speed walking, like competitive walking. Y'all, he thinks this is his way into the Olympics, okay? He brags about being able to break an 11-minute mile, which that's actually impressive. Uh, and apparently there's a proper form. You, you don't move your arms, and it's all like in the hips. He says it looks really masculine when he does it. Uh, maybe he'll demonstrate later. And this is the last thing. Thank you guys for, for listening to me for so long. You're gonna see this. Donald thinks of himself as a fashion icon, okay? Which is hard to believe given that only like two or three years ago he was wearing ripped jeans and had frosted tips, okay? <laughs> he had frosted tips. But according to his roommates, this is on good authority, he spent an inappropriate amount of time grooming. He calls it self-care. Uh, and also he spends an inordinate amount of money on clothing and accessories. He spent up to $300 on a designer T-shirt. That's real. That's a t-shirt for $300. He also has multiple pairs of $200 Oakleys, $200, $200 Oakleys, just in case the walks ever get rigorous. So, so that's Donald, okay? He's handsome, he's tall, he's smart. But if you don't want to be with a guy who's always lived in his brother's shadow, if you don't want to be with a guy who played glorified intramurals at a no-name school, a guy that brags about walking, or a guy that's going to spend more money on clothes with you, do not say that pastor did not warn you, Okay? Uh, seriously though, Donald, <laughs> Donald is, <laughs> maybe Donald was a very good friend of mine. Uh, he serves this church extremely faithfully. He leads small groups. He leads, uh, uh, the boys, 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 boys in middle school. Uh, and I'll, I'll say this uh, totally sincerely out of all the people I know at GBC, there is nobody Nobody that builds and sustains relationships like Donald does. It is truly an amazing thing to get to watch, to be a part of, uh, and he does that so well around here. So, if you, thank you, if you would, 
Welcome Donald Avant to the stage. Man. Come on. Come on. Y'all, I've had to wait all summer for that intro. Literally every Thursday night wondering what someone would say. I thought it would be Wes, and Daniel took the stage. Man. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of what he said was true, um, and I'll own that. I'll take that. So you're probably asking why I'm up here on stage, and I've asked myself that plenty of times in the past few weeks, but I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've been going to GBC for the last four and a half years or so. Uh, my name is Donald. Most of you guys know that now because Daniel talked about me for five minutes there. Um, many of you guys feel like family. This church really does feel like a home. And I'm not just saying that lightly. My roommates and I actually rent a home just behind the church. We can wake up and see the back of the church, right? We hear you guys playing pickleball and spike ball at six in the morning. Um, that said, it's an, it's an honor to be called to serve in this way up here on stage. I'm especially excited because as someone who serves in youth, I'm used to giving the sermon to kids. Um, so I'm going to hope, at least I'm going to bet, that y'all will be a more attentive audience tonight. Typically, I have to fight for attention from uh, empty soda cans or half-eaten snacks or those little pins at the end of a crock, right? You know those little pins you put at the end of your crocks? They're constantly playing with them while I'm talking. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 3 is where we'll be spending our time tonight. So if you have your Bibles, will you please turn with me? By now you know this is the final Thursday night Bible study. It's the end of the summer. That's the bad news. The good news is all summer we've been studying the life of Moses, and now we're at the end of his life. Moses is 120 years old, and for the last 40 years he's been serving God faithfully. And y'all, faithfully might not even be a strong enough word. Moses has done and seen some pretty incredible things. For those of you who play sports, let me put this in terms that at least we can understand. Moses has been the QB for the team, the QB for God's team. Y'all, and he's led a lackluster group of athletes, think the Aggie football team, to the promised land. <laughs> That's what Moses is doing. It's impressive. I went to Emory. I really don't have a dog in the fight, but... <laughs> in all seriousness, Moses is a leader that we should admire one that we should look up to. And at the end of his life, after all these years of faithful servitude, it's worth asking the question, what does Moses get? What is his prize? At the end of his life, what does he get? Will his jersey be lifted into the rafters? Is his name gonna go down in the Hall of Fame? What does he get? Tonight, we'll have our answer. But more importantly tonight, we're gonna answer a question that's extremely relevant to you and to me especially this time of year, right? Many of you will be or have been asked to serve in ministry in different ways, whether that's in youth or children's and middle school and high school. Maybe you're going to lead a small group this coming year, or you're just going to host it at your house. You need to have an answer to this question. Or maybe you're just here from a different church and you serve there. Or maybe you haven't served yet, but you're thinking about it. Or maybe you're just here for the free food. We know you guys are here this question is also for you. As we consider serving in the church, as we consider doing ministry, the question we need to answer is this. What do we get? What's the prize that awaits us at the end? Assuming we do a good job, assuming we live a faithful life, 
what do we get for our ministry? Tonight, as we examine the end of Moses' life, we'll figure out our answer. So now that the stage is set, will you bow your heads and we'll pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word tonight. I ask that you open our, our ears and our hearts tonight, illuminate this text as we continue to study the life of Moses. Allow your words to flow through me to your people. We thank you and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Verse 23, we'll start there. Moses is at the end of his journey, right? He's at the last stop. He served God faithfully. This is what he says. And I, that's Moses, pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please, please let me go, please let me see the land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country, and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes for you shall not go over this Jordan. Okay, like we said, Moses has led the Israelites faithfully. They're at the end of their journey, the final stop. He's led them through thick and through thin. But what do we just read? Moses is begging to God to enter the promised land. He's pleading to God, please let me go to the promised land. And God says no. He says no. And not just that, he basically says, stop asking me. I'm tired of you asking me, stop. That's not what you were expecting, was it? It wasn't what I was expecting when I first approached this text. Moses has served the Lord faithfully for 40 years, and this is what he gets? This is what happens? Why is God angry? Why does he say no? Is this fair? Is this just? If it felt like there's more to this story, that's probably because there is. If you were to just look at this text, it'd be like just now watching the Astros this season. Verlander? Verlander's back? Come on! What's up with our record? Why aren't we in first place? Altuve? Where's he been all season? Those are the questions you'd be asking. We need some backstory, and we get that. So let me explain to you why Moses isn't allowed to enter the promised land, why God is angry. It's in Numbers, so you don't have to turn there, but I'll explain to you the main points. The Israelites are wandering, right? And shocker, they're not happy, they're thirsty. We've heard about it all summer, they're not happy. And so they go to Moses, and Moses goes to God for help. And God tells Moses, Moses, gather the Israelites and speak to a rock, and from that rock, water will flow. Water from a rock? It's kind of weird, right? But last week, Mark was talking about magical fiery snakes on a pole. So this is really just the norm for the summer. So what happens? Moses goes to the Israelites, and he speaks to them. Notice, he doesn't do what God told him to do. God told him to speak to the rock. And then Moses strikes the rock, right? He doesn't speak to it. He strikes it. But just as God said, Water flows from the rock. So that's it. That's the backstory. That's why God is angry at Moses. A few tiny steps out of line, a few things he did wrong, 
And that's why Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land. Now, before we consider if the punishment was just, before we think about whether or not the punishment fits the crime, I want us to put ourselves in Moses' shoes here. What would he have been feeling? Why was he so desperate? Why was he pleading to God to enter the promised land? To do that, let's think back to a trip that I went on earlier this summer. I was in Colorado. Now, it feels like most people at this church go there in the summer. It's a popular spot. It's a good place to be. I was in Colorado, and we had a two-hour drive over Independence Pass. Independence Pass. For those of you who don't know what Independence Pass is, it's a winding, treacherous road. You're climbing thousands of feet on a steep, narrow road, and at times it comes down to one lane. And y'all, it's also not uncommon to see wildlife running across the road. We saw a moose literally run head-on into our car. It was about to hit our car. It was crazy. If that wasn't enough, (laughs) if that wasn't enough, if outside the car wasn't enough, inside the car was a war zone. It was a war zone. The family I was with, it was a war zone. The person behind me was hitting the back of my seat over and over again. The person who was playing music on the ox, they were switching from genre to genre. Taylor Swift to Drake to Fallout Boy. Y'all know the person, right? You guys know that type. They switch from genre to genre. Usually it's me, but I wasn't up for it on this road trip. And then there was me in the back of the car with a hood over my head trying to block out the outside world. I was trying not to throw up from altitude sickness. I'd gotten sick the night before, and I had to put up with all of that in the car. So we were driving over Independence Pass for two hours to go whitewater rafting, right? Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land would be like me having to endure that road trip up over Independence Pass and then never being able to get to the other side to go whitewater rafting. It would be like having to endure that treacherous winding road and then finally, finally as you get back onto smooth, solid ground, somebody saying, hey Donald, sorry bud, no whitewater rafting for you. Now, don't get me wrong, I was only on that car ride for two hours, two long, treacherous hours. Moses has been on this car ride, on this road trip, for 40 years, right? He didn't have Taylor Swift or Drake or Fall Out Boy playing on the radio, but he has the Israelites grumbling, complaining, being disobedient. Y'all, that's a long road trip, 40 years. So now that we have a better understanding of what Moses might have been feeling, right, why he was pleading to God, we can ask the question again, does this seem fair? Does it seem just? I mean, sure, Moses didn't do exactly what he was told, but he's been faithful for 40 years. Was it really that bad? Couldn't God have just let it slide this one time? I'd argue it's natural to feel that way at first, but the thing we have to realize, y'all, is this. Partial obedience is disobedience. Let me say it again. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Here's what I mean. Moses didn't do exactly what he was told, right? God told him to speak to the rock. Instead, he spoke to the Israelites. God told him to speak to the rock, yet he struck the rock. It's not what God told him to do. We look at that and we think, man, at least Moses tried. At least he tried. We misunderstand God if we think that way. We compare him to our algebra teacher from high school who's just gonna hand out partial credit for trying. 
It's not God. We need to understand this. Obedience is an all-or-nothing thing. Anything, anything less than full, wholehearted, immediate obedience to God is disobedience. I can look at my life, and I'm sure you can look at yours, and identify ways in which we are partially obedient. We need to identify, or we need to call those things for what they are. It's outright disobedience. It's sin. Even more, our half-obedience, if we can call it that, is an indication, a symptom of a deeper issue. It's a lack of trust in God. It was for Moses. In the end, it's us thinking, man, I'm going to take a little bit of God's this, but I'm going to add mine here. Or I like what he says in Scripture in this part, but I'm going to ignore that part, right, or add this. And just to make sure that you're tracking with me, let me give you some examples. And by the way, these are things that I have or am struggling with. I'm with you in the audience tonight. This message is for me. I'm not up here on some high horse. Let's start with money. Do you give cheerfully, freely to the church as God calls us to? Or, if you don't give, are you saving for that fancy trip, that new house, that brand new car, right? Are you thinking, as soon as I can save up enough money to buy those things, as soon as I have that, then I'll give to the church. If you do give, have you done the math like I have in Excel? You've pulled up your spreadsheet, right? Run the math, plugged in your salary, figured out what that bare minimum number is that you can give to check the box to make yourself feel good. Do you see how this is disobedience? How this is a lack of trust in God? That he's not sovereign over our financial security? That he's going to get in the way of our life plan? What about work? God commands us to work heartily, to honor him in all that we do. How are you doing with that? How's that going? Do you work to please God or do you work to please man? Are you more concerned with the title next to your name or the number next to your bonus at the end of the year than you are in stewarding your time well at work? Do you want to impress people? Are you working hard? Or are you sitting there and you're scrolling through HAR or Zillow looking for that new house, right, just biding time until it's 5 o'clock? Do you see how that reveals a lack of trust in God? That he cares about our work, right? That he's put you there for a reason? That using our gifts to honor him is more fulfilling than it is to honor ourselves? Here's one last example. What about attending church on Sundays? Attending church. Hebrews 10 calls us to gather to worship him, right? To refocus our minds on what he's doing, on who he is. Do you prioritize going to church or do you let other things get in the way of going? Are you going to the gym instead? Are you working? Are you taking trips consistently and you're missing church? Are you staying out too late the night before and does that get in the way of going to church? Or, many of us here, right, we do come to church consistently, but we show up late. Are you like me and you show up to the nine o'clock at 9.05? Y'all, I promise you, I'm burning inside talking about being late. That's what I'm known for. I'm the king of being late. There are people in the audience tonight who can't believe that I'm up on the stage talking about being late. It feels good to confess my sin. <laughs> this is my disobedience. It's my partial obedience, isn't it? 
It's a lack of trust. It's not thinking that making time to worship God, it's not thinking that that is good for us, that it's important. In all of these things, we can convince ourselves that they're not that big of a deal. Not only are all of these things sinful, but like we said, they're symptoms of a deeper heart issue, a lack of trust. This is something we've talked about all summer, right? God is holy. God's holy. Any sin, any sin, no matter how big or small, any sin against a holy God is worthy of judgment. It's worthy of separation from God forever. If we can understand that, if we truly believe that to be true, we can understand that Moses being punished, it wasn't too harsh, right? Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land, it wasn't too harsh. In fact, it was actually a fraction of what Moses was due, what we're all actually due because of our sin every day. Standing on this side of the cross, we should live every day with a genuine appreciation for the worldly impact of our sin. Even if that impact seems too harsh at times, it's less harsh than it should be. Why? Because the ultimate punishment for our sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Through his life, death, and resurrection, we're not just forgiven of our sin, or saved from being separated from God forever. That brings us back to our question, right? What do we get in ministry? What's our prize? So far, all we know is that we don't always get what we want, what we wish for. But God always gives us more than he should. We can see this clearly back in our text. Look with me. Verse 27. Moses says, go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward. And look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. God gives Moses a sneak peek of the promised land. He didn't have to, right? He takes Moses up on top of the mountain and says, this is it. This is what I promised you. This is what you've been working towards. God didn't have to do that. It was a show of faithfulness. It might not have been what Moses originally wanted, right? He was pleading to God, please let me go to, please let me go to the promised land. But God showed him the promised land, right? And that was more than he should have given him. At this point in the sermon, it's a pretty unsatisfying answer, isn't it? We don't always get what we want. That's it. That's the reward in ministry. It leaves you wanting more. It leaves me wanting more. I'm not happy with it. I promise you it gets better. The last two verses. Verse 28. Look back with me at the text. This is still Moses telling the Israelites what God said to him. But charge Joshua, encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remain in the valley opposite Beth Pr. <clears throat> okay, after Moses gets a sneak peek of the promised land, God gives him his new orders, his new instructions. He says, charge Joshua, encourage and strengthen him. If you don't know who Joshua is, he's Moses' right-hand man, right? He's been a military leader, and he even accompanied Moses partway up the mountain to receive the law on Mount Sinai. This isn't just some random guy that God is handing the reins to. This is someone that Moses has spent a ton of time with, right, that he's poured into for the last 40 years. With that being said, imagine being Joshua. Let's put ourselves in his shoes. We've established that Moses is this incredible leader, right? He was the QB of the team, the QB of God's team. And now Joshua is the next man up. 
When I was in college, our coach would always say, right, when someone got injured or they were tired, he'd say, next man up, next man up. That's Joshua here. Y'all, this would be like being the coach at Alabama after Nick Saban finally leaves. <laughs> when Tom Brady left the Patriots, right, who was the QB? Who filled his shoes? It was Cam Newton. <laughs> and this was long past his Heisman days, y'all. It didn't go very well for Cam. These things typically don't go very well. That's probably why God was telling Moses to encourage and strengthen Joshua. He needed it. Where have we seen this before? Where have we seen this encouragement and strengthening? Think back to the beginning of the summer in Exodus 3, right? James Bento preached on it. And this is when God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And he calls Moses and he says, Moses, you are to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. How does Moses respond? He's nervous. He's anxious, right? He's got this whole list of reasons, excuses why he's not fit to lead the Israelites. What does God say, right, when Moses says, God, I can't do this? God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. God strengthened and encouraged Moses. And then God calls Moses to strengthen and encourage Joshua in our text tonight. And that's exactly what he does. Moses goes to Joshua, and he says, Joshua, do not be afraid, for God is with you. Oh, and by the way, if we kept reading, we'd next see Joshua go to the Israelites right as they're on the edge of the promised land. They're weary, they're tired, they're anxious, they're fearful. And Joshua would say to the Israelites, do not be afraid, for God is with you. This is the passing of the baton. God to Moses, Moses to Joshua, Joshua to the Israelites. Doing the same thing, saying the same thing, y'all, this is discipleship. Does it sound familiar? One man encouraging and strengthening another, using God's word and then taking that same word and going and encouraging and strengthening another over and over again? What's the reward for our ministry? This is the second part of our answer. It's that God allows us to be a part of what he's doing in the world to make an impact on others. Even though we all sin, even though we all fall short, God allows us to play a role in his plan. In all reality, God could do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, right? He doesn't need Moses to lead the Israelites. He doesn't need Joshua. He doesn't need me up on this stage tonight. He doesn't need you to serve this church. But the good news is, y'all, that he chooses to use us. He chooses to give us a role in his plan, to pass the baton. And man, this is the part that fires me up. I get excited here, right? Discipleship has played a huge role in my walk with the Lord. It started when I was in middle school. I went to Canacook. I went to camp every summer. And the counselors spent time with me when I was at camp every summer, investing in me, pouring into me. And now, 10 years later or so, there's men in the audience tonight who have discipled me, who are pouring into me, encouraging me, and strengthening me. They're passing the baton. They're calling me out of sin. They're challenging me. They're asking me the hard questions. They're inviting me into their families, into their lives. Y'all, this is a big reason why I want to do middle school ministry. Am I just to hold on to the baton, right? Do you keep that in your trophy case? Do you look at it, just a shiny object? 
No, you pass it, right? It's why I want to do middle school ministry. It's why I want to spend time with our 30 or so seventh grade boys, right? Not because I have all this wisdom to impart on them, but because I want to be a part of what God is doing in their lives. And y'all, it's so fun when you see the light bulb turn on for someone, when you see them choose to walk away from sin, right? To run towards the cross, when their thoughts change, when their actions change, when they finally get it. It's amazing that God allows us to see that, to be a part of that in someone else's life. I cannot overstate this enough. It has changed my life, truly. I mean, we live in Houston, Texas. What's so great about Houston? Really? We don't have mountains, we don't have the beach. There's no lakes that you can actually go for a swim in. We've got the Astros. That's about it. Memorial Park, where I walk. That's about it. 11-minute pace, y'all. I'm serious. I challenge anyone to beat that. I have friends from college all the time. They call me, and they ask, man, why do you live in Houston? These guys live in fun cities like New York, L.A. My twin brother lives in Australia. It's a fun place to live. It's hard not to get jealous. These guys call me on the phone and they ask me, hey, what's so fun about living in Houston? I had a buddy actually visit last summer, right? And I laid out all the stops for him. Went all the fun places in Houston. We went to dinner, played some pickleball, brought him to church. He was here on Sunday, right? He met some of the kids. And y'all, when he left, right, when I dropped him off at the airport, he turned to me and he said, Donald, I finally get it. I finally understand why you love Houston. This is why ministry, the opportunity to spend time with other people, to pour into them. This is why life is so fun and so full in Houston, Texas at GBC. And I'm sure many of you can say the same because the reality is that you're here because somebody poured into you, right? Somebody made an impact on your life. Somebody encouraged you, strengthened you. With that in mind, the question, really the challenge that I have for you tonight is this. Who are you pouring into? Who are you spending time with? Who is that person? Think about them. If your answer is no one, I want you to consider why. What's holding you back from doing ministry? We know that this is good for us, right? God tells us it's good for us. What's holding you back? There could be a lot of reasons, but I'm willing to bet that the primary reason is that you're afraid of the cost of ministry, right? Ministry will cost you things. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you energy. And y'all, most of all, it'll force you to be vulnerable, to share your weaknesses, the sides of you that you wish were different. And that's something, if I'm being honest, that I struggle with a lot. I've had all summer, right, to come up here on Thursday night and look at the crowd, look at the man that's standing up here on stage, and think, how am I going to stack up, right? What are people going to think of what I have to say? Are they going to like it? Am I spiritually in the right place to do this? Y'all, I was focused on myself, so much so that a few weeks ago I came up here and actually talked to Daniel and told him, man, I don't think I can do this because of my insecurities, because of I was worried about the affirmation of others, what others would think, right, what it would cost me to be up on this stage. 
If I had let those insecurities get the best of me, I would have missed out on so much. I would have missed out on the opportunity to depend on God in ways that I never have before. I promise y'all, I have gone to God in prayer in ways that I never have before leading up to this sermon. I would have missed out on the men of this church, right, my friends, my family, the staff, encouraging me and strengthening me. I would have missed out on that. And y'all, this isn't about me, right? This is just an example. But if that's you tonight, if you're worried about the cost of ministry, if you're letting your insecurities get in the way of you getting in the game, learn or hear what this message has for you. What does it say? It says, be strong. Do not fear because God is with you, right? That's what God said to Moses. That's what Moses said to Joshua. That's what Joshua said to the Israelites. And y'all, that's what this text is telling us. Be strong, do not fear, because God is with you. Let's land the plane. We've established that our reward in ministry isn't always what we want, right? It's not what we wish for. But we get the opportunity to make an impact on others that outlives our own, right? Impact, we get an opportunity to play a role in what God is doing. And if that wasn't enough, there's still more. There's still more here. Look back at the text with me. Verse 24, Moses said, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Do you see it? This is Moses at the end of his life. And y'all, remember, there's not many people in the Bible who have seen or done as many amazing things as, God, as Moses has, Right? He was rescued from a basket in the Nile. God revealed himself to Moses out of a burning bush. He stood up to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. He served as the mouthpiece of God's judgment in Egypt over the plagues. We saw bread fall from heaven and water spring out from rocks. He felt the violent earthquake on Mount Sinai when God gave him the law. And we saw him forgive the Israelites and their idolatry. And he healed people with a snake on a pole. And that's just what we, what we talked about this summer, right? There's so much more. And after all of that, all of that, Moses is here saying to God, this is just the start. There's more for you to show me. I want more. What does this add to our answer tonight? Our reward in ministry isn't just more than we should get. It's not just the impact we get to make on other people's lives. It's that we get a glimpse into the greatness of God. We get a front row seat into what he's doing in the world and how he's working through us. Even more than that, it leaves us wanting more. It makes us eager for heaven, for a time when we will experience God in his fullness, when we see the fruit of his glorious plan. The work that he has, he has been doing in our lives all along, right, we'll be able to see that in its fullness. Why would we not want this? Why would we not yearn for heaven? Let's get in the game, y'all. Listen to what this text says. Do not be afraid. Be strong. For God is with us. God is with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity tonight to dive into your word and learn more about you through the life of Moses. I pray that we would look to you for strength and encouragement as we go about our ministry. We desire to be used by you to encourage and strengthen others, to bring your glory name, your holy name, to make it known 
We ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen.